again to a novel evening. I am Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as at Blotted Ink Books. And this is the podcast where I chat with fellow book lovers, authors, book bloggers uh, about their fantasy fictional evening. Um, and this week I am joined by Freya Mask, whose Sunday Times bestselling debut, A Marvelous Light, um, was just incredible. Uh, it was just such a cool, queer, Edwardian, magical premise that I was absolutely here for. And she is back with her sequel, A Restless Truth, uh, focusing on the character of Maud Blythe. Um, I can't wait to dig in. I'm very, very lucky that I've got a, a proof copy um, and I'm going to be devouring it pretty much imminently um i absolutely am here for historical fantasy um especially a queer historical fantasy we are here for it um so i'm very very excited to chat with freya and check out her novel evening so a massive hello to freya hello hello thank you for having me uh, thank you very much and thank you for getting up so early on your sunday <laughs> I feel very gothic in comparison. I'm wearing these like wintry clothes. It's very dark outside and you're sitting there in your wonderful summery singlet. Oh, oh I'm it's, very jealous. It's so hot here. Well, it's hot for England. Like you guys are probably like, oh, okay, it's like 26 degrees. But for us, we're in the midst of a heat wave. And I'm also in the mm. attic of my house, which is possibly like the hottest part I could be in because we'd obviously, we don't have air conditioning. We just insulate the hell out of our houses for our winters. And then when summer comes, we just die. <laughs> yeah. Canberra's, Canberra's not great at building houses that are suitable for the winter. So everybody just heats oh. a lot, which is not great. Yeah. No, no. So we are, we have the opposite problem. <laughs> Your houses are too cool. Ours are too hot. So yes, I'm I'm sat in the very warm confines of my attic. So that's why I'm sat like <laughs> it's a hot summer's day. But yes, thank you for getting up bright and early on a Sunday. We all know that's not what Sundays are for. So uh, thank you very much <laughs> for joining me. And I cannot wait to chat to you firstly about A Marvelous Light. Uh, I was very fortunate to get to read a proof. Um, I mean, queer historical fantasy you basically got three things there that as soon as I read it was like well I need this I need to read it and it's such a fun novel it's unlike any fantasy I've ever picked up before the magic systems in it are so cool and it's done tremendously it's done so well so congratulations firstly what a book how did it feel to come up with that idea where did it come from well, essentially, when you say queer historical fantasy is everything that you wanted, that is why I wrote it. It's because I wanted there to be more queer historical fantasy, and I was not seeing enough of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, when you are a writer, the solution to there should be more books like this is always the person turns around that you are complaining to and says, well, why don't you write that? And that's how that started. Uh, but I really like that overlap of genre. I really like uh, a little bit of history, a little bit of magic and obviously a little bit of romance as well and so I got the idea because it was what I wanted to read essentially but I mean nutting down to the idea for the first book that actually just came from thinking about the what if of a magical bureaucracy and somebody being placed in the magical bureaucracy who shouldn't be there I love it 
I love it. I love that you've got a time period that is very straight laced and a bit buttoned down. But then you've got this story that is so wild and dare I say it, pretty sexy. It's a pretty sexy book in places. I That's love fair. how those yes. two things compare. Like, I adore it. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the point of the time, really. I mean, it's, it's not quite Victorian. It's just after the Victorian era. But I think that's what appeals to us about those sort of period dramas set in the Victorian era. And this one in the Edwardian is this sense of straight laced with hot things simmering underneath. Yeah. I you find know, it really hard to believe. sheen on society. Yeah, I find it really hard to believe. You know, we had the Greeks and the Romans who were so, you know, openly sexual in so many ways and I find it really hard to believe you know you had the Tudors that had their courts that were getting up to all sorts and then the Victorians we were meant to believe that they were all just you know high necks and long sleeves and you know casting looks at each other I I don't believe it I think that oh they were definitely getting up to all sorts like I did a lot of reading of Victorian pornography for book two and my goodness me the imagination on these people Yeah, I mean, I have seen some Victorian pornography. I've seen some of the pictures that they had and they liked their source where you could pretend it was all quite, you know, well to do and oh, it's just ladies showing ankles and things. But it it's pretty progressively as you go through. I think they were a naughty group. I really do. And I love that you've got a little bit of that reflected in your stories. Uh, I think the Victorians get a bad rap for being very straight-laced and it's nice to see some of them getting up to some... Uh, some magic and some mischief for sure. I think no matter no matter what time period you set a historical fantasy in, there's always going to be that aspect of there are hidden aspects to this society or there are aspects of society that are uglier or more complicated uh, or more raw than the society would want you to believe. Yeah. And so when you're writing about a hidden magical society, you're always going to be able to find some kind of thematic resonance in yeah. the things that are hidden and the things that we don't speak about. And that was a lot of fun to play with with this trilogy, especially as I write the later books. And speaking of, we have the book number two, A Restless yes. Truth. I am super excited again. I'm very, very lucky to have a proof. Uh, it's not going to be unread for very long. It literally came back two days ago and I'm ready oh, to dive good. in. I know, I know. It's brand new. Uh, it's gorgeous as the first book was um beautiful covers and this time we're focusing on Maud from the from the looks of things yes so the first book each of the books has two narrators because each of them is a romance and so it's a dual perspective romance uh and the first book the narrators are Robin and Edwin and in the second book one of the narrators is Robin's younger sister Maud who is a very different type of narrator to Robin and so it is quite a different book I think book one really leans into that idea of everything being sort of t- straight laced on the surface and it's about beautiful objects and beautiful settings uh, and then danger running underneath. Book two is just sheer chaos because Maud <laughs> is quite a chaotic person. I love that. I love a bit I, chaos is just to be fair I'm probably described as a fairly chaotic person um, so this might resonate to me on a, <laughs> on a deeper level. Did you know it was always going to be Maud who came next? No, I didn't. So when I first planned this, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be a fantasy trilogy or a historical romance series. Oh, okay. And so I liked the idea of doing a romance series that had a very strong plot linking the three books. But when I was starting to write it, I was discussing with my agent about where we were taking my career and we decided we were going to try and make it a fantasy 
series with strong romantic subplots. And so the outline that I had initially for the three books, um, they were linked, but you met new people each time. And then once I started writing a fantasy series, I realized that that wasn't going to work quite the same way. You didn't have any investment in characters that you hadn't met yet. I would have to redo all of the exposition mm-hmm. of the plot and the world building every time, rather than just introducing people slowly and naturally and getting them caught up to speed. But the reader is expected to know what's going on because at least one of the point of view characters was there in the last book yeah, and knows exactly what's going on. So I didn't know who was going to be the main sort of through point character for book two. And I was tossing up between Maud and Adelaide Morrissey, one of the other characters when I was initially planning book one, Uh, but then it became pretty clear, pretty fast that it was going to be Maud. Yeah. She's a really fun character, actually. I'm I'm very excited to read some more about Maud. Uh, And are we kind of moving into a different setting? Are we going to see different parts of the world? How uh, this one, it? yes. So book two is entirely contained on an ocean liner. Hmm. So think the Titanic, because we're in the era of the Titanic. So I made up an, a white star line ocean liner that is not the Titanic, but is quite similar to it. Uh, and then I went and did a lot of research on the Titanic and stole everything that looked fun in terms of the facilities on board the ship and how it would run. And I was then forced to come up with a plan of the ship, which I hated because I hate maps. Every time I open a book and there's a map, I'm like, ignoring that, don't care. Oh, (laughs) that's a really bold statement because on books, maps are like the thing. (laughs) I know. It's a a fantasy novelist thing. You're meant to really like maps and want maps. And I have just never looked at a map. It's never felt like it's taken away from my enjoyment of a story. Uh, but because this one is a murder mystery and it's a slightly more Agatha Christie-ish murder mystery than the first book was, the idea of having a map is like having a floor plan for a house, like one of those big country house mysteries. You want to know where the rooms are in relation to each other. And so I had to come up with where the cabins are on what decks of the ship and what else is on those decks. And there was some idea of having a map in the book and then it rapidly became clear that the map I had in my head could not sustain being put into an actual laid out map. The uh, lack of detail would become glaringly apparent. So I knew roughly where things were and it is internally consistent, like things don't move around in the ship, Uh, but you don't need to know exactly how big the room is and exactly what lies between one place and another. Just go go with the hijinks. You don't need the map. I, it's quite a, I would say it's quite a, a brave setting as well. Cause I guess as well, like you say with the murder mystery as well, people need to be able to move around this ship and be able to, you know, get away with things and get from A to B, you know, mm. you've got to know your exits and your entrances. And there's only so many of those in a, in a ship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ships are huge. Like yeah. you know, the Titanic was enormous. This one is a bit smaller, but it's still pretty big. Uh, and you know, I can play a little bit with the idea of these class divisions and, yes. you know, who is allowed on which staircases and who's allowed in which elevators and how do you get from this deck to this place. And so obviously there are chases in the ship and there's people trying to hide from other people and create distractions. So I found it a really fun setting to play with. Yeah. Obviously you haven't got quite as much scope for moving the action from one place or one house or one town to another. Uh, but I think there is something very fun about uh, a locked room murder mystery 
And in this case, it's just locked ship because you can't get off the ship. I mean, there's the a ship reason. is the container. Yeah, there's a reason I, I live in the hometown of Agatha Christie. I have never read any, but I've watched a lot of adaptations. And there's a reason she wrote so many locked room murder mysteries. Hmm. It's so intense because it's- Yeah, you've got to bring in a storm so everybody gets stuck in the house. Yeah. When yeah, you cannot exactly. escape from something, you know, the the outcomes of things become so much more intense, don't they? You can't escape. You can't just, you know, get in your carriage and flee to somewhere else. You are literally trapped in this space, you know, and you know someone on board has to have done it, you know, be it a train, a ship, a, a house on an island. I think immediately the stakes are so much higher, aren't they? When you're trapped somewhere you can't get out of, usually at sea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And look, there are no icebergs. We haven't got like an imminent you know sinking of the ship in, in it but there is a there's a time deadline because obviously it takes a certain amount of time to get from New York to Southampton and then you just have the physical constraints of the ship so that was yeah a really fun way to do something different with book two and then book three is something different again I was gonna say so we've obviously said we're going from Southampton to New York is book three gonna have a little American theme no, it's the other way around. That came oh, from, we start okay. in New York and we end in South Africa. So there's a bit of, of some events have happened since the end of book one. Right. And we pick up the action when Maud is returning from New York. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Okay, okay. I'm very intrigued now. And you're obviously working on book three at the moment. How does yes. that feel to be working on the end of, of a trilogy, something that you've worked on for so long? It feels, on one hand, I think it's very freeing because, you know, there's this saying in publishing that you're going to, if you write a trilogy, the risk is that you will lose readers with each book. You right. know, lots of people pick up book one because you're new and the, the fantasy series is new. Uh, and then not everybody will pick up book two. And then not everybody will pick up book three. So you'd have a drop off. Right. But the flip side of that is that anybody who picks up book three is probably in it, you know, wholeheartedly. Yep. So by the time they've read book one and book two, they know what I'm about as a writer. They know more or less what kind of book to expect. And to be absolutely frank, you know, those are the people that I am writing for. Yep. And so I felt that I could be a lot more free and self-indulgent and fun in book three and just not second guess quite as much in terms of, oh, am I writing what people want to read? Am I writing to the market? It's just, no, this is book three. This is the culmination of a series. Put in everything that I want. Yeah. And it is actually the romance that I've been most looking forward to writing since I started planning the whole thing. Oh, so I'm having a lot of fun writing the romance in this one. I would say as I'm a fantasy reader. That's kind of my, I, I love historical fiction and I love fantasy. And I would say as well with fantasy readers, if you are in a trilogy and you are deep, you get to book three, like you're invested in these exactly. worlds, in these characters. You don't often get a fantasy reader who's like, nah, he wasn't like keen on the first two, but I just picked up the third one. At this point, you're like, I have to know how this ends. <laughs> I'm yeah. in I it. I mean, I did, take, I did take a chance by changing narrators each book because that is a romance yeah. mechanism. That's not yes. usually a fantasy mechanism. So it would be much more usual for a fantasy series to either follow the same narrator or yeah. narrators throughout, or if you're doing it, what I'm doing and building an ensemble cast, for all of the members of the ensemble to be present with point of view characters from the beginning. Yeah, so it is, it is unusual for, for sure. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's unusual for fantasy. 
Uh, and so it's been fun trying to make that work, especially by the time we hit book three, we have basically assembled our leverage crew. You know, we have our core group of people who are heading into the culmination of the plot. And I realized fairly fast that, again, because this is fantasy and not romance, I had to do the first bits of this romance in book two. And I had to introduce those characters strongly in book two. So when we hit book three, we're not again going, oh, wait, hang on, you're introducing new people. You know, you're not allowed to introduce new arguments at the end of the essay. You have to have everything on the page already. And so book two does contain Maud's story and Maud's love interest and their romance but it also has a slightly larger core cast. It's much less of a us against the world that you got oh, with Robin and Edwin. Yeah. I start to bring in more of a, a team. So your romance that we're going to see at the end, the one that you're excited about, we've met, we'll have met both of these characters then who are going to, you know, be your central romance. I'm guessing. We'll... You've met one of them in book one. Ooh. Uh, and you will meet them much more in book two and also be introduced to the love interest. So we really hit the ground running in book three. Wow, I am incredibly excited. And now for your novel evening, mm-hmm. I have no idea what to expect in my head. I was like, are we going to get historical fiction characters? Are we can get fantasy, we can get romance, a bit of everything. I'm very intrigued now as to where mm-hmm. we're going to go, who we're going to meet on your evening. Because it sounds like you are a fan of a lot of different genres. Yeah, I really, really am. I I read pretty widely. I was a very fantasy focused child. Like I grew up on this very English diet of, uh, you know, Enid Blyton and Joan Aiken and uh, Noel Stratfield and Elizabeth Googe. So my my mum's English. Uh, She immigrated to Australia. And so she had a lot of English kids books. And I read a lot of those very classic, you know, English kids have a fantasy adventure Magic far away tree and the magic far away tree, yeah, five children and it's that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, And then, so when I headed into primary school and high school, I was still was a very voracious fantasy reader. And then, as I left high school, went into university, I read a bit more. Like I started to read a bit more literature with a capital L. Uh, I didn't read romance because I had a lot of those sort of internalized misogyny ideas about what romance was. And it took uh, a friend of mine who was very into Georgette Heyer and another friend of mine who uh, worked in the romance industry to sort of say, actually, you're very into fan fiction. Did you know that's basically just romance? It's using the same tropes. It's doing the same things. Uh, And so they introduced me to capital R genre romance. And obviously, I love that. I read a lot of that now. I write that as well. Uh, And I also read the occasional mystery, the occasional thriller. I'm starting to get into horror as a genre to read. Don't think I'd write it, but I do. Yeah, I just kind of discovered horror. Yeah, I feel like I've never been brave enough to read horror not that long ago. I certainly don't want to read it in the dark alone. But um, that's really interesting to get get into. Yeah. See, I don't find horror books scary at all. I just, I love reading them. And I'm like, oh, this this is some good, creepy, atmospheric imagery. I enjoy this. Can't watch a horror movie. Or a horror TV show because I'm very easily manipulated by music, but books, no problems. Oh, see, I read Laura Purcell's uh, The Silent Companions, and I read that on a really lovely summer's day, and it terrified me. I think I've just got a very overactive imagination, to be honest. (laughs) I could picture that really. I read The Haunting of Hill House in my house alone at night, and I was like, this is great, wonderful, perfect atmosphere. Slept like a baby. 
no I've actually got that to read so many people have come on here and like wax lyrical about that book that I have got it's that very to- good okay it is very good I am not gonna read it at night alone in my house because I am a wimp probably for the best <laughs> So your evening then, where are we going to go to start with? Where have you chosen? Well, I have been in a fit of nostalgia and longing for overseas travel, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the last trip that I took at the very, very beginning of 2020 was to Barcelona. And probably my favorite place that I went into was the Sagrada Familia, uh, which is that enormous Gaudi church with the incredible glass. So I've decided we are booking that out for an afternoon and evening. We're going to get the sunset coming through the glass uh, and we're going to be catered. So we'll have people serving us probably, you know, some sangria and some tapas all night. And we're going to sit there and look at the colours. Oh, I am so here for this. Can you do this? Are we allowed? (laughs) Do you have the budget? Absolutely not. I figure if you're allowed fictional places, you're allowed fictional utilization of real places. You absolutely are 100%. um, And what a setting that would be. Stunning. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. I can imagine it for some reason. As you said, I imagine like a, like the themes that Dolce and Gabbana are doing at the moment with their, like, everything's very, very Catholic, you know, embolism of everything. And I've kind of just pictured it's, you know, Courtney Kardashian's wedding like that theme you know everything's like candlelight and it's very sumptuous and we're in this beautiful building you say with the sunlight coming through this sounds great yeah <laughs> well, if you've never been to the Sagrada Familia I encourage you to google image search it and get a sense of what of the like the light is just incredible so my goodness okay so we're there we're set up who's your first guest who's going to arrive so I haven't think about this and I basically all I could think of is authors that I really wish I had met that I am going to bring back and do so the first one is Terry Pratchett because Terry Pratchett was immensely formative for me like I loved the Discord books so much I read them voraciously from the age of about 10 Uh, and I'm really sad that I never got to have anything signed or go to any speeches by him while he was alive so he's going to be my first guest I think just such an incredible imagination I just how somebody could come up with those worlds and those characters and write so many books and somehow weave all these plot lines and like to me that just blows my mind yeah like he was an absolute master of the murder mystery because he structured a lot of his books like murder mysteries uh, and you know I love that that combination of fantasy imagination and social commentary and this like really hard vein of morality going mm. through them. You know, they are books that can tell you how to be a good person if you are reading them to look for that. But they are also doing so many genres and so many settings and so many in-jokes. Like soul music, the one that's about the music industry. I read it for the first time when I was in my early teens. Probably got about two of the jokes because so much of the music references that were before my time and just bands yeah. I'd never listened to or heard of and now every time I read it, I get another one of the jokes. You're like, ah, I, I know this on, one. Like, a, yeah, I think, I, I think like the last time I read it, I was like, oh, that's a joke about Def Leppard. You know, a band that I had never heard of when I was 12. <laughs> Did that show yeah. your age though? I feel like this is a book that you would pick up. You'd be like, oh no, I'm definitely in my 30s now. I got this reference. 
it's more sort of like the music references are still are even older but it's just I've become more aware of the band yeah. since I've gotten older at the time I read it because I loved Susan Susan Stowe Hewlett as a character yeah. so my first ever Discworld book was um Hogfather oh, which is okay. one of the Susan books and so I was immediately going back and reading all the other Susan books that I could, could find I think he just in interviews that I've listened to and he sounds firstly as well incredibly funny um, and so knowledgeable and so intelligent and I think you could just listen to him talk for hours yeah I think he's going to be good good value as a as an evening guest okay I'm I great first choice so who's coming next Next, I think I'll have my one fictional character guest, Ooh. and that is going to be Miss Franny Fisher from Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. I've not heard of these. Ah, okay. So most people know the TV show. There's a TV show called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which is uh, an Australian procedural, you know, right. murder mystery show about a an Australian socialite set between the wars, okay. and so it's set in the sort of in the late twenties, I think and or maybe in the 30s you know very elaborate beautiful clothes bobbed hair late 20s early 30s and it's about this yeah this socialite who keeps going around solving mysteries and of course the like handsome stern policeman whose crime scenes she keeps stumbling into and taking over and the people in her life and it's really really fun and it's one of the few shows I've seen which has an older female protagonist and by older I mean like I think she's meant to be in her mid 40s uh who is unrepentantly promiscuous like she has all these this string of like hot young lovers who sort of like waltz in and out of her life as well as this simmering slow burn with the policeman it's very Australian it's set in Melbourne it's really fun and so I love that show but it is based on a a series of books uh, oh do you know what as soon as you said like in her 40s promiscuous young lovers because I think it's always been either kind of the the elderly Miss Marple types who are very twee and solve crime or kind of like the young ingenue who doesn't really know what she's doing so the thought of this confident sexy middle-aged I was saying quotation marks mm. I woman, mean she, yeah, obviously like you know, the actress is gorgeous and well preserved yeah. as you are if you are an actress of that age but yeah, it's so really fun. fun. I, I I encourage you if you can to find like even just the first episode of the first season and watch it. Oh, I will. It's I just, will it's that deeply out. fun, and the costumes are so beautiful. I went to an exhibit at a at a museum here in Australia, which was a, an exhibit about the costumes of the show, and they had so many of them up and how they designed them and which ones were restored vintage and which ones were made um, new for the show, but with vintage fabrics or two designs that would have been contemporary at the time. So if you're if you're a costume nerd, it's also a great watch. Oh, I love anything with costuming. I think especially when you see shows now, the amount of detail and work that goes in for like seconds on screen sometimes. Sometimes you see a costume and it's on for like literally minutes and the work that's gone into it is unreal. Oh, I'm going to check this out. This sounds very, very cool. It's very fun. And so I think and Franny Fisher as a character, it would just liven up any party at all. So definitely inviting her. I can see her in this setting as well. I think she'd absolutely rock being here in in Barcelona. She would, she'd do great. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Okay. So she's arrived. Terry Pratchett's in. They're sitting having some sangrias and and chatting. So who's going to be next out of your authors? The other author that I really wish I could have met or had any kind of interaction with is Diana Wynne-Jones. So I'm inviting her because I think she 
would be great at in-person storytelling. Oh my God. And I discovered her quite late. So lots of people grew up reading Diana Wynne-Jones because obviously she wrote for children. But I discovered her books when I was in medical school in my early 20s and then just read like one every weekend until I had covered most of them. There are still quite a few of hers that I haven't read that I am saving. So I have a few unread Diana Wynne-Jones that I can break glass in case of emergency if I really, really need a new one. Uh, But I do reread a lot of them as well. And I think Howl's Moving Castle is one of my favorite books of all time. So I'm I am very guilty of not having read that one, but I have watched the adaptation so many times. Um, and I think there's obviously a reason that that book is, is so beloved and the adaptation is so loved as well. And the magic. Yeah, and it's one of those, it's one of those things where the adaptation is very different to the book. Yeah. Like very, very different, but they are both wonderful in their own way. Like I think, cause I loved the book first. I watched the adaptation and the first time I watched it, I didn't really like it cause I was expecting it to be, a much more faithful adaptation but it does have the same core right the heart of it is is quite similar I think it because the what a Studio Ghibli movie is going to be is always going to be a very different kind of beast to what a Diana Wynne-Jones book is going to be yeah, that's uh, very but true. <laughs> I, I, I love both of them in their own way uh, but the book, I think, because I read it first, has a very special place in my heart. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing to listen to her and Terry Pratchett talking? Yes. That's basically, well. I think I want to just sit them down and I'll just sit on the other side of the table with my sangria and just listen. Tell me your secrets. Tell me everything. Yes. <laughs> talk, 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 talk. I'm going to yeah. write everything down. Oh, my yeah. goodness. There's moments like that you just wish that there are so many authors that you just want to sit in a room and just listen to them engage with each other because mm. it'd be fascinating yeah. oh I'm I love this have you got anyone well, else got, your... yes I've got two more guests they two can more. together because they're both called Dorothy oh uh, and this is Dorothy L Sayers who is my favorite mystery author oh, okay because I love the Lord Peter Whimsey books and okay. I read a couple of years ago I read a very interesting book about Dorothy Sayers and her friendship group at Oxford so she was in one of the earliest ever classes of women who were admitted to uh, Oxford and Cambridge. Wow. Uh, and she and her friends had a very, had very, very interesting lives and did very interesting things. And I just, I just love her books a lot. So I'm inviting her along and Dorothy Dunnett as well, the author of The Lyman Chronicles, who is my favorite historical fiction author. Amazing. I think they, I, I have no idea if they would get along. I have no idea if they would have much in common, but they are both immensely, immensely clever people. And so I, I feel think, that I think people their conversation like would also be fantastic. Yeah, they would find things in common. I think when you have people whose brains are just so interesting, they will always find something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So there we go. So we've got four authors and one fictional character. But that's fine because Franny Fisher can make friends anywhere and she will not feel self-conscious about being the only fictional character in the room. No. And this this sounds like an evening of conversation. That sounds like what you've really gone here for is people who are, you were just going to be able to listen to all night. Yeah. I, I, I'm not really imagining us breaking out a dance floor in the middle of the Survivor Familiar. Although if anybody would, it would be Franny Fisher. So we'll just see how, how much wine gets drunk through the evening and see where the night takes us. All the sangria and the beautiful lighting. I mean, I can see us dancing in the, you know, the scattered light from the stained glass. That's true. Okay. Well, that, that's stage two of the evening. 
part two. Is there anybody that you really wouldn't want showing up to your evening? So I thought about this and I think because I was thinking about the characters of these writers, I do not want the wizards of Unseen University of all of the Discworld people to turn up to this party because there would be no more food and no more drink. They would drink all of it and then they would get into an argument oh. and that would take over the entire evening. Yes. that's those people who I'm happy to read about them, but I don't want to hang out with them in real life. I feel like it would be like the dwarves from The Hobbit. You know, when they turn yes, up. It would be like, just oh. like that. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're like I'm, I'm turning up you. and they would just eat everything. Yeah. And then they would And they would not appreciate the beautiful setting. No, they would just sit and there'd be stuff all over the floor. They'd just be dropping things. They'd have no respect for their surroundings or the people there. I am in agreement with you. I think there's some groups that you just don't want, especially en masse arriving. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Maybe one or two of them would probably be fine, but en masse. No. Not what I want for my evening. I think you've got a wonderful evening. Um, I love the setting choice. I think you've got some really wonderful authors uh, and fictional character coming. I think it would make for a very interesting, a very interesting group. And I'll just hmm. sit in the corner and eavesdrop <laughs> and hope I can pick yeah, up Yeah, basically, tips. yes. <laughs> It'd be wonderful. And before I let you go and enjoy the rest of what will now be a very long Sunday for you, um, are you, are you reading anything at the moment? I'm always reading things. Um, okay, so at the moment I'm in the middle of a, one of those little, um, sorry, I think of how to put this. You can edit all of this. <laughs> um, I'm in the middle of a glut of one particular type of book because right. I read the first one and thought, this is what I'm in the mood for. And I went out and found a lot more. So I'm in the middle of a dark fairy tale Gothic Ooh. reading stint. Now, the first one that I read is called A Path of Thorns by A.G. Slater, who is an Australian author. And it is absolutely pure gothic fairy tale of girl goes to creepy house and people in the house have a secret uh but the girl also has a secret and might be just as dangerous as everybody else in the house and it's just if you like fairy tales if you like the gothic vibe absolutely wonderful I, I just devoured it uh, and then I read an advanced copy of a book that is not quite out yet which is called Leech I've and seen this. You've I, seen oh. this one? I've seen, okay. yes. I would, yeah, I did. I tried very hard for a proof of this as well. I tried to sell my soul for it because it looks very cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I luck, luckily I share a publisher with this, with this book. So I got to just beg them for a copy. Um, so it's by an author called Hiran Ennis and it is a medical gothic horror. Uh, so there's, a, and because I, have a medical background yeah. medical horror is very hit and miss for me because I read it and I'm like that's not quite right I can't suspend my disbelief if it's close to right you need some accuracy it's completely wild and out there that it's fine but yeah <laughs> I but would because, read it and wouldn't know any different but yeah exactly you've got that but because I think I think this author um, also has a medical background I was reading it ah. going yes perfect spot on you got this exactly right uh, and again this one is very gothic it's about somebody coming to a house to act as the doctor because the last doctor has just died and there are lots and lots of secrets but the hook is that the narrator is actually part of this sort of like collective and the only people who run medicine in this house in this world is this group which is sort of like I'm trying to think of the best way to put it it's basically a parasitic hive mind and oh. in order to maintain their foothold in the world they have systematically, 
destroyed any competitors in the field of medicine. And then they just basically just take children and in and insert themselves into the body and the consciousness. Ooh. And so the narration is so interesting because it's from the point of view of somebody who is one little avatar of a greater whole. Oh, wow. And so something will come up and then you'll think, oh, okay, so I got one of my bodies far away in this city to go and look this up in the library. Oh, and now I have the answer. Oh, uh, but of course, that all that stuff's done. Yeah, so it's very unsettling, but like it makes the narration completely unique. And it's got so much to do with autonomy and personhood uh, and who deserves independent existence. Uh, it's very dark, but it is one of the most unique things I've read in a long time. And I loved it. So keep an eye out. Oh, I absolutely shall. It sounds so cool. And I, again, I don't understand people have the imagination to and like you know be able to have the consistency as well to remember all these like you know they must remember and have jotted down all these different bodies from the hive mind and where they are and oh just wild wild yeah, and that was that was really really fun yeah are yeah. you still in and your dark I'm, fairy tale phase? i am yes oh? so then i moved to a slightly lighter one which was um <laughs> like slightly lighter uh nettle and bone by t kingfisher so Tiki Fisher is one of my favorite fantasy writers writing today. She does incredible romance in her fantasy. Uh, Nettle and Bone is less romantic than some of the other ones. I mean, it has a little romance subplot, but it's not the focus. Uh, but again, it's very fairy tale. Uh, it's about the youngest daughter of three, and both of her older sisters have had to marry the same prince. The first sister died, and so it was like, right, okay, well, second princess, let's go. Uh, and so she discovers that he's treating her sister terribly, and her sister's in, at risk of dying as well. And then she, as the third princess, will be expected to marry him. And so she's like, right, I'm going to kill a prince and goes off on a fairy tale adventure. But it's very irreverent fantasy. Like it's sort of like if Terry Pratchett did that plot, yeah. there is a chicken that's possessed by a demon. Like all the people who help her are very atypical fantasy archetypes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, just again wonderful wonderful world building like it feels really natural as soon as you step into the world all of the weirdness and the magic makes perfect sense I love that. and again I just I love that I love the narrator of that one as well and the journey that you see her go on so that's Nettle and Bone yeah and the one I just finished is Juniper and Thorn by uh, Ava Reed I keep seeing this. I'm trying to be so good and not buy books but I keep seeing it and it's calling to me <laughs> It's again like very dark fairy tale, and I think it is actually based on a particular yeah. uh, fairy tale. And again, it's about three sisters, and, the, and it's about the middle sister, and they all live in this you know falling down house, and they're all witches, and their dad is a controlling wizard. But it's also about the world and the town changing around them, and what happens when this girl leaves the house for a night. Uh, and goes to the ballet with her sisters and ends up falling in love with one of the ballet dancers. As she would. And it sets in motion, like, you know, a lot of danger and her changing her life. And again, there's a lot of body horror stuff and right. a lot of really atmospheric imagery. It's beautifully written. Again, quite dark. Uh, and it's got, you know, th themes of um, child abuse. And it's just such a wonderful book. And it's just such an, it's so angry and strong and empathetic like it, oh, it's really good it is, I mean, it's, it's really tale. sticking with me I'm finding it hard to talk about because yeah. it still feels very fresh 
Yeah, I mean, fairy tales, when you actually read the originals, they are dark. They lend themselves so well to these dark, dark retellings. Mm. Actually, the originals, before they were sanitized by Disney and, you know, made made a bit more, you know, genteel for children, the originals are pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. Like, I only have one idea in my head for a potential fairy tale retelling. And every time I was reading these books, I was like, I could feel the idea gathering darkness in my head. Ooh, but I was going to ask you, do you know what will come when you finish this trilogy or are you just deep in the trilogy right now and ideas have to wait? Uh, I have about five potential ideas. What will probably happen is that either one of them will just leap upon me and I'll end up writing it or I will sit down like a good author with my agent and say, which of these do you think I should write next? Uh, but the ideas that I have that I most want to do, I think are probably novella length. And look, I say that as someone who is a chronic overwriter they may turn into novels but they are slightly <laughs> smaller ideas uh which I would like to which I like I'd like to try I'd like to see if I could write yeah. a novella like I, really I think love... I'd really struggle to write a novella I think I would yeah I think I I struggle with novellas because I think I always want more and maybe that's my problem is I always get to the end of a novella I'm like oh I just want to read like 100 pages more of this but that's kind of the point isn't it they want you know the whole point is that you you know you get yeah to and I think it's, it's a great way to do a different type of storytelling yeah. and there are a lot of people who are doing series of novellas which means yeah. you can get an almost like episodic storytelling so Nevo's Singing Hills Cycle is each of the stories is only a novella length story and, and now there are I think there's two of them out there's the third one that's coming out soon and you could put them all together as a book but it would just yeah. be three. It would really be a book that is three stories in one. Whereas the great thing about a novella is that you pick it up, you read it, you get a lovely little self-contained narrative. So you feel that sense of closure, but then you feel, oh, I've just met these people. I'd like to meet them again. Oh, there's a new novella coming out. Excellent. But I really, I really admire people who can do a full complete story with world building in a novella form. Yeah, it's good control. I'm such an overwriter. I think it would be a good challenge for me to set myself. Oh, very intriguing. I think it does take some control, as you say, um, to fit, fit your story into those those words. And I would be very excited to see what you would do with a novella. Um, and I'm very intrigued by these five ideas you've got buzzing oh, in your brain. Yeah, I don't don't have an ideas problem, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm still and I'm trying to write uh, contemporary romance as well. So cool. every time I have an idea, it has to join one of the two cues. And unfortunately, there is only one of me. I can't clone myself to write romance. As you are well not as a hive mind at the moment. So. No, I must admit the idea did occur to me when I was reading Leech. God, this would be so useful. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just, I'm trying to think of all the things I could do if I had multiple bodies and life would just be so much easier. <laughs> a little creepy. <laughs> a little creepy, but so much easier. Yes. so much easier well thank you so much this has been an absolute pleasure and arrest this truth will be out very very soon remind me of when is it due out um it's coming out in november oh, which like, is that not, long uh, away scarily no no like this is the thing it was a, they were designed to come out once a year for a year so the last one was out last november restless truth is coming out this november and then book three will be out at the end of next year very exciting thank but you I can't so what that one's called yet <laughs> Well, we will keep watching. We'll keep waiting and watching until we find out. But thank you so, so much again. That's all right. Thank you very much. Hi. Close your eyes. It's time to discover what starting and growing your own business feels like. 
Whether your business is bedsheets or skincare or jewelry, Shopify's with you every step of the way. Hello. Now, open your eyes. Feel ready to start and grow your business with Shopify. You'll get the tools you need to nurture your growing business and feel the same satisfaction as listening to this ad. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Simply start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com/free22. shopify.com/free22.